pray. <laughs> Let's thank him that he is just that. Jesus, here we are. For some of us, it's week two. Others of us, it's week three. For others of us, it's a lot more weeks that we've been under an immense amount of stress. Maybe we are, we're already there before this coronavirus pandemic hit. Maybe there is already health or financial or emotional stuff. But now we're, we're all under this same challenge, a cloak of a crisis that's going to change all of us for the rest of our lives, and it already has. But not just us, us as a church, us as the church on this planet, us as a nation, as a culture. And we as your people want to put a stake in the ground right here and say we are going to turn from our own insufficiencies and we're going to turn to you as our, our enoughness, our strength. Turn to you as our deliverer, as our redeemer, our restorer. Jesus, on this Palm Sunday of 2020, as we're scattered as the church, unite us right now in your spirit, wherever we are. Teach us, speak your word into us, and may we listen, not just as individuals, but listen as a church, and not just listen for us, but may we listen for what we need to learn and who we need to become as we taste this you're enough. Would you speak? Speak through your word to me, to my friends that are all gathered. We praise you that you are way and that you are truth and that you're life and it's in your name. We ask for your truth and your way and your life to be made known in us. Amen and amen. Well, it is great to see all of you, and I put C in some quotation marks. We are in the midst of this immense challenge, but how grateful I am that we have the technology available. And I, I want to again thank our entire tech team and thank all the, the hosts for and, and, our, and our online ministers and for our uh, video folks and our, our IT folks and our audio people. I mean, this is an amazing team. And I know, Northland, you are well aware of the gift that God has given us in these, these staff. So be praying for all of our staff right now and be praying for your neighborhood. Be praying. This is, a, this is an intense time. And... A lot of us know it's going to get maybe even worse before it gets better, and we've got to, to hunker down and acknowledge that, you know what, God's got some things he's going to shape in us and some things that he's going to do in us. I want to encourage you to keep tabs on how you can be connected. Make sure that you're uh, going online to northernchurch.net slash updates and also northernchurch.net slash Easter. And one of those items that we mentioned to you earlier 
if you're in need of assistance, this is something you can print out. It's available on our website. And it's something, you can print out a bunch of these, leave them on the doorsteps, mailboxes of your neighbors. And it says, hello, if you're in need of assistance, I'm happy to help. My name is, my phone number is, I live next door, I live in your neighborhood. I can help with picking up something. It's an amazing opportunity. And then it says, I'd love for you to join me virtually for worship on Easter Sunday, April 12th. So put some invitations out there, but put the invitations out there with an offer. Uh, to help. Let's roll up our sleeves together. I also want to encourage those of you who are, are regularly a part of us uh, financially. This is going to be a big challenge for all of us individually as well as for us as a church. And some will have to step up more, perhaps others aren't able to, but this past week we started seeing the impact of that. And I again come back to our, our team. Our, our, our finance folks are, uh, are putting an amazing amount of time into figuring out all of the different regulations that are going on in our government, but we want to ask you to continue to partner financially and partner by way of time and prayer. Keep coming online for the devotionals, and I'm glad that you're here for this time already with our worship team. I mean, my, that encouraged my heart more than I can tell you, just to acknowledge he is the way maker. And I want to encourage you to keep worshiping. During this time, we're going to be celebrating communion in just a little bit. We set up this table, and uh, I'd encourage you to get some bread and some juice or wine, and let's celebrate together. Well, this past week, Wednesday, was April Fool's Day. Are you kidding me? And I got an email from a friend of mine, an attorney downtown here in Orlando. And if I had been in a coma and woke up Wednesday morning and got this email, I would have thought it was an April Fool's joke because it says State of Florida Office of the Governor Executive Order Number 2091, uh, Essential Services and Activities During COVID-19 Emergency, and it goes through all these whereases. This is the mandate in which we are told to stay at home for 30 days. I think all of us shifted to a different gear emotionally this week. It's getting really real. But guys, this too shall pass. We will get through it. Over the course of history, people have dealt with things over and over. Somebody sent me a reminder of that. Her grandmother who's over 100 years old, remembered growing up in British Columbia. And there was a public notice put up. The corporation of the city of Kelowna, British Columbia, and this is what it says. It says, Thursday, November 7th, 1918, Corporation of the City of Kelowna, public notice. Notice is hereby given that in order to prevent the spread of Spanish influenza, all schools, public and private churches, theaters, moving picture halls, pool rooms, and other places of amusement, and lodge meetings are to be closed until further noticed. All public gatherings consisting of 10 or more are prohibited. D.W. Sutherland, Mayor, Kelowna, B.C., 19th of October, 1918. Wow. What goes around comes around. And they got through it. It was tragic. It was horrific in a lot of ways. But they got through it. We'll get through it. 
But here's the question, what will we learn as we're going through this? What, what is God wanting to shape in me and in us? Not just in us as a, as a church, but in us even as a nation. There's some opportunity here. And I'm praying that you and I will continue to pray towards that opportunity being seized. And some of us are saying, I don't know about what I can learn. I just need to know how do I get through this? How do I get through the isolation? How do I get through the financial challenges, the economics with my business? Well, how to get through it and what we can learn from it are both related. And there are deep, painful stuff. There are other things that are a little bit more lighthearted. You're already well aware of a shortage of this. I, I brought this in and I was attacked by a number of our technical team. Uh, everybody's wanting it. This is, in fact, there was a robbery in Hong Kong for toilet paper. What is the deal? It's a respiratory issue. Why this? Why are people panic buying, panic shopping? Why are people hoarding toilet paper? Well, I looked it up, there is a consumer behavior researcher named Kit Yarrow, he said this, panic buying is partly an attempt to gain a sense of control when the world feels uncertain and dangerous. When we feel anxious, the antidote to anxiety is always control. So the reason that we're hoarding that and doing a number of other things is because we sense there is so much right now that we can't control, so we try to go to the things that we can control, including how much toilet paper we buy. Somebody sent Arlene and me a link about how to, how to figure out how much toilet paper you need for the quarantine. It's a toilet paper calculator. Can you believe that? And you got to enter. I mean, Arlene and I had one of the more uncomfortable discussions I think we've ever had in our marriage of, okay, how many sheets are in a row? We went through this first as a joke, and then we started saying, well, let's figure out, do we have too much? How many sheets on a roll? How many times do you go? How many in your household? I'm not even going to get into all the questions. They're a little bit too uncomfortable, but you can go there. But don't go there until after this. You can look it up, toilet paper calculator. We figured out we had been hoarding. We've got too much. We didn't think we had enough. What is it? Is that us grasping for control? You see, here's the deal. It's an opportunity right now. We're now aware that we don't have control in significant aspects of our lives. But the truth of the matter, that's always the case. C.S. Lewis, many of you know he's one of my heroes, an apologist, one of the greatest apologists of the 20th century. When I read what Yarrow said about that panic buying and uh, that need to have control, I thought of, of a, a, an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote back during World War II. And it's in his collection of essays called The Weight of Glory. Here's a quote from it. He says, I think it's important to try to see the present calamity in a true perspective. Now, he's going to be talking about World War II. Why don't you and I think about this is the coronavirus calamity. The war, or coronavirus, creates no absolutely new situation, he says. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. In other words, it amplifies something that's always true. We just can't ignore it right now. That's why we're doing stuff like hoarding toilet paper. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. Human culture has always had to exist under the shadow of something infinitely more important than itself. 
We're mistaken when we compare war with normal life. Life has never been normal. We hoard things like toilet paper because we want to have a sense of control and we're, we're, we're panicked, we're stressed because we're aware that, we out of, that we're out of control. So here's the deal. It's no different now than it was six months ago in terms of the amount of ultimate control we have over the number of heartbeats left in our chest, over the lungs that we're, we're exercising, the health of them. We are vulnerable creatures. We're creative, we're capable, we're ingenious. You can go on and on. As image bearers of God, we got a lot going for us, but we're in a fallen planet and we're vulnerable. And ultimately we're not in control and never have been. So here's what I want you to start tracking with. It's something I've been praying through this week and the week before. It's about a possible outcome that we can have, a possible outcome that's pretty powerful and could be amazing, not just for us as individuals or a church, but as a nation to humble ourselves. Here, here you go, a potentially great outcome of this crisis could be this. Now bear with me. Our illusion of our ultimate control is dismantled. And simultaneously, if it's just that, then we're all going to kind of find a cliff and jump off. Because it's the illusion of control that keeps most of us going each day, even though it's an illusion. Well, let's dismantle that. Let's acknowledge we're not ultimately in control, but for our confidence in Christ's ultimate control to be deepened, to go deeper, for us to understand our illusion is just that, it's an illusion. What would it be like in my walk with Jesus for me to move away? The scriptures talk so much about us humbling ourselves. He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's not because he likes people uh, uh, punishing themselves in his presence. It's simply honesty. Humility is honesty. And we are proud people when we think we're in ultimate control. We're not. And it's a freeing thing to say, I'm not in ultimate control, but Jesus is, and I'm praying for you, I'm praying for me, that our humility will grow alongside our confidence. And as, as our humility grows, so will our confidence in his control, and so will our experience of who he is, as Savior, as King. So how do we do that? How, how do we grow in our awareness of of both our humility and how do we grow in our awareness that Jesus is ultimately in control? How, how do we diminish the illusion and elevate the truth? A lot of it has to do with what we're celebrating this week. This is the beginning of Holy Week. It's been known throughout history as that Palm Sunday where the crowds gathered around on the way into Jerusalem and waving palm branches and saying, Jesus, Hoshana, Hoshana, Hosanna. It was a path that was leading to the cross. Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. 
There's a passage of Scripture that talks about this. It's a prophecy, and it's in Zechariah chapter 9. Start reading with me in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Remember, up on the other side of the Mount of Olives, Jesus, right, when he was, he was coming into the boundary of Jerusalem, he asked, disciples, he asked his disciples to go find a colt, to go find a donkey. It was a fulfillment of this prophecy. I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace to the nation, nation shalom. And his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This prophecy is one of hundreds of messianic prophecies fulfilled in Christ's first coming. But I want you to look at verse 11 and 12. I've entitled this, this message, this Palm Sunday message, Prisoners of Hope, and here's why. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit, and I'll return, and, and return to your fortress, which is Jerusalem. It means stronghold. You prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. So you prisoners. There's a transition that happens in this passage. When they were in exile, under judgment, they were prisoners in that land of drought. And he says, I'm coming to redeem you, bringing you back to my holy city, and I'm going to make you prisoners of hope. Wait a minute. Prisoners of waterless pit versus prisoner of hope? There's a similarity there, and a lot of us don't like it. Prisoner, prisoner. Wait a minute. Don't I get... But he says prisoner of hope. At root in that word prisoner, what, what's being referred to? It's being referred to as someone who is not in control, who's being controlled by something else, someone else. Prisoners of, of the desert, of a waterless pit, of being outside of the life of the gospel, or prisoners of hope. Now, double meaning, a lot of us feel like prisoners in our own homes right now. But may this be a time for us to unpack what does it mean to make a shift. Now, we're not going to gain control anyway. So let's make a shift from being a prisoner to our illusions of control to being a prisoner captive by the life-giving, symphonic truth of the gospel, the music of the gospel, the way, the truth, and the life. Oh yeah, I'm still under control, but that's how I was designed. I'm not creator, I'm creature. I'm not the master of my own fate. I'm very, very smart as a human being, very capable. We're going to find a cure. We're confident in that. But if we are putting our ultimate hope and our ability to figure this out, we will have missed the lesson of this. This could be one of the great blessings in your and my lifetime. And even, I'm not, I do not believe I'm exaggerating, in the history of modern civilization, if we would humble ourselves and say we're going to stop being prisoners of our illusions 
that we're ultimately in control and we're going to become prisoners of the hope of the gospel. So how does it happen? Go back to the text. He says, he says, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant will be with you. So what's going to release them from the waterless pit to this place of blessing called Jerusalem, the fortress, the stronghold, the place where they'll be secure? It's not their status as prisoners going to be changed. They're still going to be prisoners, but these are prisoners. They're happy there because they're under the control of the one who made them, who, who knows what's best for them and always works for their good as well as his glory. What happens? He says, what's going to enable that? It's not him coming as king. It's him first coming as savior because of the blood of my covenant. That's a, um, that's a phrase that's only used a couple of times, once in the, other than this, once in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, Jesus uses that phrase, the blood of my covenant, in his words of institution for what we call the Lord's Supper. What this passage is saying is that we are going to be rescued from the waterless pit and returned to the fortress of the great city by one who is going to shed his blood of this covenant, this agreement between God and man and how we approach him. And the way that that happened is through the cross. Jesus didn't die as a martyr. He gave himself up as Savior, as infinite God-man to pay a penalty that it would take you and me eternity to pay. We've rebelled against an infinite God, that therefore we've incurred an infinite, we've committed an infinite offense and incurred an infinite penalty. And it would take us infinity to pay it, but Jesus, the infinite God-man says, I love you so much, I'm going to pay that penalty so that once again you can be restored to my Father. We talk about being fully alive here at at Northland, that comes from Jesus saying, I'm, the thief wants to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, have it to the full. And that full life, it's enabled by somebody else paying our penalty of death. Now, a lot of times people treat the cross in their illustrations like a bridge. The cross is what bridges us and God, and that's true. But I want you to see the cross during this coronavirus thing especially as a barrier, a protective barrier. I want you to take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 1 and verse 2. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We're always going to be under one law or another. The law of sin and death, death with a capital D, it's not just my heart stopping to beat, it's me being suffocated in my humanity, muted in my, my humanity. So I'm either going to be under that law or under this law of the spirit of life, Christ Jesus. Prisoner, prisoner. Captive, captive. Under, out of control, out of control. It just depends on... Who's controlling me? Who's leading me? Is it the thief wanting to steal and to kill and destroy? Or is it the one who's wanting to redeem and to restore? So take a look. Those two phrases, law of sin and death, law of the spirit who gives life. 
I want you to think of a word under each of these. Maybe really see it as a, a, a caption. This is really the difference between living, dealing with in all of our lives, dealing with a fallen world with fear or with hope. The law of sin and death is all about fear. The law of the spirit who gives life, it's about hope. So I'm going to turn this a little bit. Let's treat this so often that many of us who are on this side, we've trusted Christ, we received his work for us on the cross. We tend to approach stress though. We come back under, we submit ourselves to the law of sin and death, to fear. Takes an agreement, but what does that begin to look like? An unbeliever has no choice. I want to give you some characteristics of that fear. And we're all tempted by this. Take a look. So when you're looking at fear, it could be anxiety or speculation or illusion. Speculation meaning we're presuming things. We're always coming up with terrible scenarios. Or we're walking according to the illusion of our capacity. We have a scarcity mentality or an avoidance. We just say, I'm going to anesthetize. I'm going to kill the pain. How are you and I dealing with stress? How are you killing the pain? How are we avoiding reality? Hoarding. Being, living in, hoarding, hoarding. Anybody here know about that? Living in a diminished way. Saying, I'm going to have to put my life on hold for the month of April because we're in quarantine. Despairing, having a temporal mentality or confusion. That's what it looks like when I submit to fear. When even though as a follower of Jesus, if I'm already a follower of Christ, I don't have to be there. But if I don't say, I'm going to let the cross be the barrier and fear, I really rebuke you. Law of sin and death, you got no claim on me. What will that look like if I take that posture? Look at the antithesis of each of these under, with hope, instead of anxiety, there would be a sense of security. Where I'm secure because of, of what Jesus did, instead of speculation, there would be an aspect of, of realism, being realistic about what's good and what's not good. It's not Pollyanna, but nor is it pessimism. Nor is it panic. Instead of illusion, gaining a vision for what God is up to. A vision for what's real, for the possibilities. Instead of scarcity, having a mentality of his enoughness. He will be enough for you and me right now. Some of us are scared. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to acknowledge this is scary. But may we at the same time acknowledge that we don't have to live there. We can live under the one who is, is, is rescued, who redeems. Instead of hoarding, instead of avo avoidance, we can start engaging. Engaging with other people, engaging with what needs to be harvested in this. Instead of hoarding, we can become generous. Instead of being diminished, we can live as men and women who are flourishing, even during a quarantine, instead of walking in despair, living with shalom, instead of having a temporal mindset, living with an eternal mindset and saying, instead of this monovision and this uh, myopic view that's right here saying, God's up to something. You know what? Jesus is fine right now. He grieves for a fallen planet, but he knows what he's doing. This was not a surprise to him. He's got an eternal, he's going to make all things new and instead of confusion saying, you know what, this is a mystery. I don't understand this COVID thing. I don't know why we're here. 
But mystery is a very different thing than confusion. The enemy is the author of confusion. God is not. And what he's given us is the privilege to say we trust you. So I'm going to encourage you this week, and I'm going to make the covenant with you. I'm going to do the same thing. With the scary stuff, let's put the cross of Jesus between us and this crisis. And let's deal with it in a context of security and being realistic and visionary about what God's up to and enough, engaged, generous towards others, flourishing in a sense of shalom, uh, an eternal mindset, and understanding this is mysterious. And saying, God, we trust you. We don't understand this, but we trust you. This this is an opportunity for, I was talking to one of our staff this week, and she said, a couple of people have shared this. I believe it at my core. This could be the seed of a great awakening. If we will submit as prisoners of the fortress of Jerusalem and say, we weren't in control anyway, we just want to be controlled by that which is life-giving instead of the death penalty over here. So as followers of Jesus, choosing on a daily basis, no, it's not a matter of going back and forth between salvation and not being saved. It's simply a matter of saying, as a follower of Jesus, I want to live as a follower of Jesus. I want to approach this, not with a blindness, but with a courage that's rooted in Jesus as Savior, as Redeemer, as Restorer, but also as King. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. And Jesus says in John 16.33, as you've heard me say so often, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Henry Nouwen was an amazing writer and thinker and man of God, and he went to see a circus one time. He saw the trapeze artist. He actually writes about the, the, frying, the flying Rodleys. It's a South African trapeze troupe. And he noticed in the flying trapeze, there's the person that leaves the trapeze and starts somersaulting through the air, and everybody talks about, wow, that's the amazing thing. He says, actually, the hero in that scenario is not this person. The hero is the person who catches them. He says, if we are to take risks to be free in the air, in life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible Trust the catcher. And to be on this side of the cross is to trust the one who began a good work in me and he's going to complete it. And he began it on that Friday after Palm Sunday. He gathered his disciples in an upstairs room and took some Passover bread. And he took some wine, and then he gave them a symbol. He said, I want you to partake of this regularly. 
they still didn't understand when he took that bread and he broke it and he took the wine and he poured it he said this is my body broken for you this is my blood shed for you remember Palm Sunday it was one of the saddest days in Jesus's life you can read about it in Luke 19 he wept over Jerusalem. They were saying, Hoshana, save us. But what they were doing is they were saying, save us by giving us what we want over here and our, our illusion of control. He says, no, I've come to save you by rescuing you. They wanted a king. They didn't want a savior. And he says, I haven't come to Jerusalem to be crowned as king. I've come to Jerusalem to die as a savior because I'm already king. So I want to encourage you right now, let's just take three or four minutes. You've got the elements. We're together. In the spirit right now, we're together. Take a piece of bread. Maybe serve one another if you're with others. And take the juice or the wine and say, take and eat the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you and sing out, Hoshana, Hosanna. But do it in the full sense. It means a word that means save us. And may we pray that he would save us, not just from our circumstance, but save us from the root cause of our circumstance, which is the fall and our sin. Jesus, we need you. We humble ourselves before you right now. We bring our fears to you, and we want to engage with you on your side of the cross, on the side of the law of the spirit of life in you, Christ Jesus. Not the side of the law of sin and death. We, we want to live under the truth and the liberation and the protection and the strength and the deliverance that you gave yourself up for us. And you who began a good work in us and in all creation, you're going to complete it. Hosanna. Hosanna.